0: This is Patient Care Theory 2, Unit 10, Part 4, Cold-Related Emergencies. (coughs) Do you like this slide? I put extra effort into the slide just for you, Just like, remember the burn slides with flames? I don't go to that kind of effort very often, so. Very good. Thanks. Thanks. So how do people get cold? So we'll talk about um, the various mechanisms we talked about in the original talk about. Are you guys ready? You guys all set? Liam. (laughs) Liam. I was showing him. It was on topic. (laughs) It was a hypothetical. No, no, it was a drop. A, a hypothermic yeah, toe. <laughs> 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 oh, I think my toe is hypothermic. I don't feel it, and it's black. <laughs> okay. So, uh, mechanism of cold. We'll talk about uh, conduction, convection, radiation, evaporation. You know the usuals. Uh, respiration. We actually lose heat through breathing. Not much you can do about that. Uh, Heat loss is increased, of course, by removal of clothing, wet clothing, uh, and air movement, or contact with cold or cold water immersion. Um, Do you know why most people die in um, um, I'm having a TIA here, stand by. Do you know why most people die in um, uh, situations where they're lost in the wilderness? Paradoxical undressing. Paradoxical what? Undressing. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. So when they get tired and delirious, they they take their clothes off. Like on Mount Everest, they that's find that's them that's naked that's up, that's there? That's yeah. up there. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I'd never heard that before. Thank you. Paradoxical undressing. A thousand ways to die. Oh, I haven't Did seen I? that. No, that's a show, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I should watch that show. Maybe I'll make that a plan for this week. Uh, okay, uh, well, that wasn't what I was going to say, but uh, that's interesting. Um, but uh, the most common in survival situations is people leave where they are and try to walk to uh, civilization. That's the most common. Yeah, if you're... You better know. <coughs> so if, if you start with... So you stay... You hug a tree. Hug a tree. A t- a tree? So you don't move. Because, like, the more you move, the larger the area for, like, the search. For search, yeah. That's right. What if no one's searching? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's why people move, right? Is because okay. they think no one's searching or no one's going to find... Them. But you're better to stay... In, like, if it was a plane crash, you're better to stay where the plane is because you can see the plane better from up above. Um, or, you know, you can drag the fuselage out to an open area or something like that, but um, you're better to stay and sleep in a sheltered area, but but you're better to stay where there's something visible and uh, rather than walk, because people uh, try to walk and die when they could have survived. So the your better bet is to hunker down and begin working right away. That's the first thing, because people get demoralized by the situation, and they don't they become idle, and when you're idle, you start thinking and worrying and complaining, and before you know it, um, you have no fire, you have no heat, you have no shelter. Um, so the best bet in those survival situations, as you learn, if you take a winter survival course, I wouldn't recommend it unless you work. If you work for area animals, you have no choice, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it unless you can go glamping, if there, you know, some kind of <laughs> glamping <laughs> thing in the in the cold. But um, um, your best bet is to get to work. Try to start a fire, collect wood, do something, build a lean to. Anyway, so heat conservation mechanisms. So when we're cold, we vasoconstrict, right? We get uh we get vasoconstriction in our periphery. We get um uh sphincter erectus. I got in trouble for that once in uh, in college. Um, the teacher was talking about involuntary muscles and um, they were asking for examples of involuntary muscles and i said the erector pili and i guess he thought i was talking about erections and i was really talking about the little muscle around the the hair follicle that contracts and traps air and where the hair follicle is Uh, and i never recovered from that what he thought was a smart ass remark but really wasn't i even tried to talk to him afterwards and he said i don't want to hear it (laughs) so yeah i was shot down so anyway that's my erector pili mus- uh, muscle um, uh, story. and uh, But we don't have enough hair to uh, trap enough heat. But uh, animals, furry animals do. And uh, maybe the furries at the anime conferences, Anime North do as well. But there's no, erect- there's no erector pili muscle activity happening there. It's just the outer shell. Okay, so we vasoconstrict, we shiver. Uh, we have hypo thermic mixturation, which I talked about, when you get really cold, you got to pee more often, so you get rid of fluids. Your body's like, a, uh, like an engine, and if, you, if your radiator is losing fluids, the engine heats up. If your body loses fluid, you heat up. So it's not a bad thing. That's a compensatory mechanism to pee a lot. <coughs> and um, when you go on a winter survival course, the two winter survival course, um, your source of water is snow, right? So you've got to have a designated pee areas, so no one's drinking yellow snow and uh, you've you got to melt snow. <coughs> uh, so chill blades are what they call non-freezing injuries. This is not a 911 call, but you've probably all experienced chill blades where the tissue temperature drops below 15 degrees Celsius. The <coughs> capillary walls may break, um, so maybe t- some tissue swelling, and um, it's typically caused by prolonged or repeated exposure of bare skin to air temperatures, or not even necessarily bare skin, but, uh, you know, feet in boots that aren't adequate, or Feet and skates that don't keep you warm and can develop in a few hours. Most commonly affected areas uh, include the the cheeks, ears, nose, fingers, and toes. (coughs) Uh, They appear red, swollen, skin may be tender, may become itchy, and that can worsen to aching, prickly feelings, pins and needles sensation, then numbness. In some cases, open sores or bleeding lesions can result from uh, continued exposure. (coughs) So, management, uh, just uh, when you're warming affected areas, you don't warm affected areas by rubbing. That's not a good idea because it causes cell damage. And um, But bare hands over the heated area uh, of the face, um, affected areas against the armpits, so cold hands under the armpits, a good spot. Um, or under the, someone else's armpits, that's always fun. Like... Cold feet on your back in the bed, not good. Uh, So we don't massage or rub the affected areas. Um, We don't wet the areas or rub with snow or ice. Uh, That's a urban myth. And uh, we don't expose the area to open fires either because if you've got decreased sensation, you might be burning skin without being aware of it (coughs) or stove or any other intense intense heat source. So um, transport, not usually indicated. People don't typically call 911 for this sort of thing, but you never know. Um, and signs of the tissue damage may be slow to appear. Frostbite, on the other hand, uh, a little more serious. Um, this is uh, tissue freezing, and what happens is ice crystals form in the cells, and those crystals uh, uh, do two things. They draw the water out of the cells. They lacerate the cell walls, causing cell damage, and um, they can expand, uh, damaging the cells and they could damage uh, blood vessels, causing a loss of vascular integrity as well, and there's tissue swelling, uh, loss of nutritional flow. Uh, There are different degrees of frostbite, so superficial frostbite is just the uh, epidermal tissue, there may be redness with some blanching and diminished sensation. Um, Deep frostbite is freezing the epidermal and subcutaneous layers, Um, has a white frozen appearance. Uh, That's what uh, various degrees of frostbite looks like. One on the right being fairly superficial, (coughs) the two on the left being deep frostburn, and they can frostbite. They can blister just like uh, second-degree burns. Did I ever tell you the story about um, the the couple who split up, and the lady um, drove her car to the golf course and took an overdose? Yeah, she ended up getting both legs amputated. Yeah, she never liked to stand, huh? I made that joke, that's a really bad joke. I can't believe, can't believe I cracked that joke. It's pretty bad. I want you guys to tell my daughter though that I'm funny, because <laughs> everything comes out of my mouth, she just thinks it's a dad joke. But, uh, uh, so uh, hypothermia, mild hypothermia is temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius. Now. Uh, Most of you will be taking tympanic temperatures, and tympanic is not terribly accurate. It's also uh, slow, so if there was a change in body temperature, it may not register with a tympanic temperature for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, So if you want a true temperature, uh, uh, under the tongue would be better. The armpit might even be better. Rectal would be uh, probably the most accurate, but we don't do rectal temps. What's that? We don't go there. We don't go to that dark place. Uh, be grateful, because uh, we used to with uh, volume for patients with seizures where we couldn't get an IV, we go rectally. Um, so mild hypothermia typically characterized by shivering, and they may be they may start to show a little bit of lethargy or some somewhat dull mental state. Uh, they may have some muscle stiffness, uh, some lack of coordination with muscles. Um, I think there's. Almost nothing worse than being really cold and having to pee really badly, and your hands just, you can't feel your hands and you can't undo your zipper. Uh, That's not a good situation. That's probably more TMI discussion. Are you guys okay with that? Um, So mild, we want to remove wet clothing, uh, protect against further heat loss, put them in supine position. You can actively rewarm someone with mild um, hypothermia with hot packs in the axilla and the neck and other monitor temperature. Uh, you want to get their um, cold clothing off or um, wet clothing in particular. <coughs> Monitor uh, SPO2 and ECG, O2 if needed, transport. Uh, severe hypothermia. So, this is uh, patients with core temperatures below 32 degrees Celsius. And as your temperature lowers, um, you know, below 32, there's an increasing risk that these patients are increasingly vulnerable to going into ventricular fibrillation, sometimes with just a little bit of handling they go into VF. So you gotta handle them carefully if they're, if they have a, even before you get a temperature on them, if they've got a significantly depressed level of consciousness and they've been exposed to the cold, just assume that they're hypothermic until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I worked in Toronto, my first job, working for Toronto Anvil Service, we, um, some some of the new medics, the older medics would never do this, but some of the newer medics, we had kind of an unwritten rule where a night shift, we would, uh, if it was busy, we would just stay awake, and we'd drive through the alleyways looking for homeless people or anyone who might be drunk and unconscious in the cold. And uh, sure enough, just about every shift, we'd find someone who was near frozen and have to take him to the hospital. I remember this one guy, it was uh, rainy, it was cold, and we took him to the hospital, and he went into cardiac arrest on us, and they, uh, they worked on him for almost four hours trying to rewarm him. Because the rule with resuscitation is a hypothermic patient is not dead until they're warm and dead. And warm and dead means at least a core temperature of 34 degrees Celsius. So core temperatures before 32, uh, below 32, signs and symptoms, uh, shivering is stopped, Uh, they're disoriented or unconscious, muscles are rigid and stiff, Uh, dysrhythmias, especially bradycardia, are common, and bradycardia is usually followed by ventricular fibrillation. Uh, So, high risk of VF below 30 degrees Celsius. Um, They have a bradycardia and they have a unique um, ECG change called an Osborne wave at the J-point where the um, uh, R-wave goes up and then when it comes down, it comes back up again, making sort of a hairpin turn, Uh, so that's an Osborne wave. So, if you ever get a hypothermic patient who's bradycardic, make sure you get uh, an ECG tracing and keep it because it's kind of a nice collector's item you know hunters collect moose heads you know paramedics collect ECGs it's just it's all about it's all about the collection you know I have students who come back here to visit me and they bring ECGs and I scan them and I'll put them in my exercises and stuff it's great it's beautiful it's like it's like a community of nerds So severe hypothermia management would be remove wet clothing, protect against further heat loss, uh, keep them supine, avoid rough handling, monitor the usual temperature, SpO2. Uh, But here, the big key here is um, we don't actively rewarm the the exterior of the body because um, she's misbehaving again. eh? She's just completely out of control. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway. So uh, what happens is they've got your capillaries, your peripheral capillaries, your peripheral uh, vasculature, you have uh, pre and post capillary sphincters, and those sphincters shut down, and you get blood trapping in the capillary network, and that blood is cold, and it's acidotic, and if you actively rewarm the exterior, if you put like a warm blanket on them and blast the heat in the back of the animals, those vessels dilate and that cold acidotic blood gets shunted to the rest of the to the core and you get an afterdrop. so you get a, another drop in temperature and you get acidotic blood that can kill people so so if they're if they've got an altered level of consciousness and signs of bradycardia we don't rewarm the exterior we have to warm rewarm them internally now how do you do that not easily so um, talked about this uh, do, do, do. oh okay so how do we do it so um, there aren't a lot of options in the pre-hospital setting but um, in the hospital they want to give them warm intravenous fluids so they have special devices for warming the intravenous fluid uh, you might um, take a section of IV tubing so you have got an IV bag hanging and you got a section of IV tubing that you lay flat on the bed or somewhere you put it Put the IV tubing between a towel and put hot packs on either side. That might help to rewarm the fluid that you're going to infuse relatively slowly. That gets to the core. Um, in hospital, they'll they'll give them rewarmed, humidified O2, warmed IV solutions. Um, but remember, with IV solutions, there's no point in giving them uh, trying to give them warm IV solutions if their core temperature is let's say 28 and the IV temperature is room temperature, which is like 20 or 21, um, you're still gonna be giving them warm fluids. So I'm not sure that even putting hot packs on IVs, and that's not a sanctioned treatment, by the way, um, that that would even work, but it would have to be, if you got an IV in place, um, you might as well run a TKO and try to warm up the fluids with some hot packs over over towel. That would be my suggestion, but um, I wouldn't, give them large quantities of fluids. In hospital, worst case scenarios, they'll do um, femoral venous bypass, they'll actually uh, catheterize their femoral artery and vein, take the blood out, put it through a warming machine and pump it back. Uh, the outlying hospitals will do basic things like, they'll, they'll make an incision in the abdomen, they'll insert a tube, they'll pour warm water in the tube and do warm gastric lavage. They'll even sometimes put chest tubes in and put warm water around the lungs um, they'll give them warmed intravenous fluids, so they'll do some pretty radical things to try to rewarm the core, not the periphery. So, any questions about cold-related emergencies? Oh, okay. What's that? Oh, you're questions. It. I thought you were oh, no, sorry. What's your question? Oh, yeah. Have you read the story called Frozen Alive? It's by uh, Peter Stark.
1: Frozen Alive? It's
0: frozen Alive. It's written in second person. So it's like, the first one is and your jeep, spins lazily off the mountain road. So it's written like, you are the character. It's uh, details. Uh, this guy is freezing to death as he, like, gets lost in the woods. And then, like, it talks about, like, how his muscles... And like how his body reacts to cold. Yeah. And then when he dies, uh, or you know, is How uh, the doctors, like, goes the third person at some point, and then shows how the doctors fix him, and then back to him waking up from the. Picture. Oh, so someone resuscitated him. He went into cardiac arrest and he was resuscitated. Amazing. It's like a it's yeah. In the perspective of you are the person. Right. The so, yeah. Isn't that written in the first person when it's described that way? Well, first person way? would be Okay. Oh okay, okay. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, sounds like an interesting story. Um speaking of which, uh, before I stop recording, there there have been some amazing stories of resuscitation of hypothermic patients. We used to talk about um children with hypothermia who were resuscitated after two, three, four hours, but there have been quite a few cases of adults resuscitated after four five, six hours. It was a physician who was um, hypothermic and she was resuscitated after four hours of CPR uh, and had a full neurological recovery. So, I would be pretty optimistic and pretty aggressive about resuscitating hypothermic patients. If you get a hypothermic patient and you're running a rest at the scene, let's say in the woods or something, um, and you're pretty certain they're hypothermic, um, you're probably going to continue CPR en route to the hospital. because at the hospital, that's where they can do some core rewarming, which you can't do in the field. So instead of doing four analyses at the scene, you probably do one analysis, because that's a hypothermia protocol, syngaltis spasms, and then transport hiccups. Syngaltis spasms. Syngaltis spasms, Mm that's a medical Mm -hmm. term. You know, when you've been doing it for 35 years, you learn the useless trivia. What, ah, battery's running low. Oh yeah, because I don't have my power cord. Is it a sign? From above, (laughs) yes. God said, let that battery be low. (laughs) End the paramedic class now.